Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. The NFL jersey number 19 is a special number that converges on many different player positions and we have a very interesting conversation in this bonus edition of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch as we talk with Dan and Andrew Newman of Hello Old Sports about the number 19. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from the Pigpen in Western Pennsylvania to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of Pigskin Dispatch, and we are keeping the pig pen open just a little bit longer today for our Football by Numbers series to take it to a new place as we welcome not one, but two special guests to help us find the top 10 best NFL players who have worn number 19. Joining us in this discussion are two brothers who let us eavesdrop in on their conversations about sports history regularly. Dan and Andrew Newman, welcome to the Pigpen. Thanks. Good to be here. Hey, glad to have you back, Dan. Andrew, you are new to the Pigpen, and we are sure glad to have you. This is uh, kind of exciting having uh, both brothers here in the Pigpen. I'm, I'm pumped for this. I am new to this particular Pigpen. Um, I have lived in various places that have been described as a pig sty so <laughs> like, you know just, I mean, yeah just one thing piece of advice don't eat the cabbage laying on the ground that's all i'm going to tell you just don't do that bad yeah. idea usually when i'm picking things up to eat off the ground they're not of the fruit or vegetable variety so <laughs> that's that's smart that's smart well uh before we get going here, uh, I know Dan was on and he helped us out with the number fours in this series because we're going zeros all the way up to 99. We're at 19th in this episode. And uh, Andrew, if you could just uh, touch base a little bit on your background and, and how you got uh, hooked up into talking about sports history with your brother on a podcast regularly. Sure. So um, Dan is my older brother. He's about three and a half years older than me. Um, I went to LaSalle University in Philadelphia and majored in communication, uh, graduated in 2008 and, you know, did a lot of stuff on the, during college radio and, and wrote for the newspaper and did a lot of the broadcasts and things like that. Um, then I graduated and, you know, kind of just took jobs because I needed to have a job so I could eat and, you know, kind of <laughs> got away from, the things I had done in school um, in terms of a, a career. And then about five to six years ago at this point, a uh, guy I know, he's a friend of, he's the father of a friend of mine, but he and I have known each other for a long time. 
he had an inn at a public radio station around uh, around here where I live in New York in the Hudson Valley. And he and I started doing a sports talk show. Um, we did that for a couple of years. And then I decided to just kind of do it on, on my own in, you know, not with the radio station anymore, just on my own. And I've been doing that uh, weekly for a couple of years now. And then, you know, in the last six months or so, Dan uh, presented this opportunity for me uh, and him to do a weekly podcast on sports history, just kind of mimicking conversations that we've had either in person during holidays or growing up or over text or things, just kind of various topics. We try to hit as many different eras and subjects as possible. So, you know, it was kind of a marriage of what I went to college for and then also just conversations I've been having with my brother for a long time and kind of, kind of bringing the two of them together. So. Well, that, that's really cool. I've listened to a bunch of your episodes. I know uh, a lot of my listeners have. And uh, I mean, we, I really enjoyed, as I, t- I told Dan a few weeks ago when we had him on, really enjoyed your guys' conversations about the, the top quarterbacks as you went through you know, each team and each division. And I mean, that was really interesting. That really took back to the past. And this is sort of similar in, in nature, only we're, you know, we're, we're talking about the whole league on one number. So it's a very similar conversation. And uh, it's very enjoyable the way you guys did it. So I'm excited to have you guys here. And it's, I feel like it's a similar thing too, where it's kind of subjective because do you judge how great the guy was or do you judge just when he was wearing the number 19, you know, how much do you weigh what he did when he was wearing a different number, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see how everybody interpreted uh, the ones for this particular number. Yeah, it, that's definitely some considerations to make. And what, what this has really been working out to is we'll come up with, we'll talk about a bunch of candidates that uh, we think should be on that list. Maybe we'll put some check marks. Maybe some of them will say, hey, this guy's an automatic. We all agree right when we talk about him. But we'll give some background on each player. And then at the end, we might have you know some arm wrestling and you know twisting of arms and uh, you know throwing things at each other, even though we're all long distance from each other. But somehow to convince the other, all the other two that we want these people. And here's our top 10 that we're going to come together and agree on. Does that sound fair enough? Absolutely. Sounds good. Okay. Well, I'm going to start it off with, a, there's a little bit of controversy that has come up recently. Now, usually we start off with the, the pro football hall of fame has, and I've got one name that's on here that uh, a historian friend of mine who was uh it's kind of an interesting story. Let's get right into it. Let's, let's first off, the Pro Football Hall of Fame says that these gentlemen are more than number 19 and are in the Hall of Fame in Canton. Lance Allworth, Jack Christensen, Mike Mahalski, Joe Montana, and Johnny Unitas, and Ray Flaherty. Now, the controversy comes in on Ray Flaherty. I started off, I was doing some research on this, and I'm looking at uh, different references, you know, Pro F- Football Reference and some other uh, websites and looking at old pictures. I could not find Ray Flaherty in a number 19 jersey. So I go to uh, somebody that's up from, from your neck of the woods uh, around the Big Apple, uh, Larry Schmidt, who uh, I count on a lot for anything New York professional football-wise, He's especially the Giants. I, I go to him for a lot of things. And he is a big Ray Flaherty fan. And he has, you know, all the game books and everything. Uh, does a lot of research in the newspaper with Gridiron Uniform Database. Uh, the, um, what, he does some things for the uh, Big Blue Interactive for the Giants uh, 
site. And he told me that Ray Flaherty never wore 19. And that's why I can't find it. Cause I, I want to just, you know, get a year when he wore it. So he is actually taking this and some other things on Ray Flaherty about the 1928 season that he has a whole thing on, which I'll post uh, when this comes up uh, on big blue interactive about Ray Flaherty of him not playing because the, um, Pro Football Reference and the Pro Football Hall of Fame say that Ray Flaherty, I believe it was 1928, played for both the New York Yankees and the New York Giants. And uh, Larry has other evidence through game programs and uh, box scores and such that he did not. It was a different Flaherty. I think it was a Pat Flaherty from, that uh, was number 19 that played for the Giants that year, and they got him mixed up. So the Giants media has already agreed with him that they're going to change their media guide and take Flaherty off of wearing number 19 and for the 1928 season, I believe it was. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame is doing some investigation on it, on Larry's case that he's presented to him. So I, I have a, a feeling that we should probably dismiss Ray Flaherty from that list of our Pro Football Hall of Famers based on, on what Larry's telling us and uh, with the Giants media agreeing with them too. So that's our little bit of controversy to start this off. You know, so. yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you really got a, got a lot of discussion started about this <laughs> whole thing. I looked because the list you sent us is sort of a starting off point had Flaherty on the list. And then I went to Flaherty's pro football reference page and it, it almost looked like he wore every number, but uh, number 19. And then, especially when you factor in the fact that he's, his number is retired. Number one, which was actually, I, I saw in my research that it was the first number retired in pro football. I think when a guy has a different number as the first ever number retired in the entire league, I think he can probably knock off the other number. So I'm good with that. Right. Okay. All right. I, I just, I wanted to be as accurate as we can. And uh, Larry put a com- very compelling case. You know, I've got uh, email after email. He, he really does his research on it. Old newspaper clippings. He, he sent everything to me. And uh, we'll, we'll share that on, on the website when this posts. Um, so, so that takes us, if we get rid of uh, Flaherty off that list, that's one, two, three, four, five, five six gentlemen, or I'm sorry, five gentlemen uh, that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that we can keep on our list or we can take them off. We can agree with the Pro Football Hall of Fame or not. So I'm thinking maybe those five are our, sort of our jumping off point to start our discussion on and just say a little bit of background on those, if that's okay with you, you guys. Sounds good, yeah. All right, uh, whoever wants to start and uh, you know, grab one of those uh, players and uh, talk them. Go, please. I think there's one place you got to start. I don't know if Andrew, if you had the same. Unitas. Yeah, Johnny Unitas, probably one of the I don't know best what three or four quarterbacks of all time. I would say behind in my in my book, probably only behind Montana and Brady when you factor in the stats and the winning. So to me, he's got to be the top. Sort of like when we did number four and Favre was the clear number one. I think Unitas is the clear number one at number 19. Yeah, I, I think there's a clear number one and then a clear number two here. And then the rest of them, depending, are kind of up for interpretation. But yeah, Unitas, I mean, you could certainly debate whether he's the greatest quarterback of all time. He certainly belongs in the discussion. Luckily, none of the other guys that we would be in that debate wore number 19 or wore number 19 for the majority of their career. So, um, yeah, I, I think clearly not only does he belong on this list, played his whole career in that number, both with Baltimore and then at the very end when he was with the uh, with San Diego. Um, yeah, I, I you know, you don't need to recite his numbers. It's, it's Johnny Unitas. Um, 
you know, so yeah, I, I also had him as sort of my, I only ranked two guys and then I just listed the rest of them and I figured we'd work that out, but I had him listed as number one. I have no disagreement with Unitas. I agree with you totally, absolutely number one on that, that list and uh, uncontested. So Johnny Unitas, our first uh, of our 10 number 19s we're putting on that list. So who, who do we want to discuss next? I would say we should talk about Lance Allworth next. Okay. Uh, primarily a, uh, a charger, played a couple of years at the end of his career with the Cowboys. He's another one who, given what we're talking about, it's important to note that he played his entire career wearing that same number. Um, you know, some really insane receiving numbers for any era, but especially when you factor in that it was the 60s primarily, early 70s, where it wasn't a as pass-happy an era league-wide as it is today. You know, you look at 65 with 1,600 yards. The next year in 66, just under 1,400 receiving yards. Over the, really the mid-60s was the highlight of his career with, you know, 13 or more touchdowns uh, each of those three years there. So to me, clearly one of the, um, you know, top receivers of the sort of pre, let's say pre-merger era um, or not pre-merger, like the pre-1980 era. Um, to me, it's it's clear that you know I had him as my clear number two. And his uh, best years were in San Diego, obviously, but then he played his last couple years in Dallas and won a Super Bowl. So probably one of the few guys to win, an, uh, especially one of the few really good players to win an AFL championship with one team and then go on and win a Super Bowl with another team. And he was a key part of that team. So I think for both those reasons, he was on the NFL hundred anniversary team uh, a couple of years back, probably one of the best, you know, I don't know, maybe best five to eight receivers of all time. I you'd have to start going down the list. So like Andrew, I kind of, you know, he was the solid number two. And it's also interesting. Both our guys have worn number 19 with the chargers. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. that is interesting. Yeah, uh, Lance Allsworth, uh, seven times in the Pro Bowl, six times as an All-Pro between the, the AFL and the NFL. That's uh, some good numbers. Definitely a, a solid number two, as you said. I totally agree with that pick. Now, where do we want to go from here? Because now it might get a little dicey and a little interesting. So who did you, Darren, who did you have? Like, who would be your third? Well, the logical uh, pick is Montana. but. He only wore that number for two years, and that was when he went with the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, he wore 16 all of his uh, career with uh, San Francisco. But uh, Len Dawson's retired to number 19. I'm sorry, the number 16 with Kansas City. So Montana had to pick another number. He picked 19, played the 93 and a 94 season with a 19. So, again, we, we sort of come to what we talked about earlier. Do we go by the player as a whole? or by that player wearing that number 19. And that's a, a good debate to have, I think, here, uh, because you have one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history that we're talking about. I erred on the side of counting what the guy did in that jersey. Um, I sort of did, too. So okay. I didn't put Montana there just because, I mean, it was two years at the end of his career. The narrative certainly was, was interesting, but it Joe Montana wasn't Joe Montana at that point after all the injuries and things like that. And also to me, the fact that Joe Montana is so synonymous with a different number 
I had a, I would have a hard time putting him uh, on a list of another, you know, number. Because to me, Joe Montana is number 16. If that's what everybody remembers. When I mentioned to my father yesterday that we were doing this today, and I mentioned, oh, yeah, and Montana wore 19 with the Chiefs. He said, he's like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. So I, I didn't um, – I left Montana off just based on the number being the organizing principle here. So I haven't had a chance to listen to every single one of these that you've done, Darren, but I listened to, which one did I listen to? I listened to, I think like, I don't know, maybe like 12 or something uh, most recently. And I was surprised because when I did number four, we had only picked five guys for our list and then you upped it to 10. And the reason I bring that up here is because Montana is not in my top five, but he's sort of on my list of all the guys who would be in the next five. So I I don't know, personally, as far as being on the top 10 list, I kind of would like reserve a decision on Montana until, um, until a little later on. Okay. I think, why don't we put him uh, sort of on our standby list? We'll come back and maybe talk to him about him in the end. Does that sound fair enough? I think that works. Okay. So my next guy was actually Keyshawn. Oh, okay. I, I was going to mention him as well. Like I said, I didn't really list them beyond uh, number one and two. I just kind of, or I didn't rank them. I just kind of listed them out. I think the thing with Keyshawn especially is, and I, this didn't really dawn on me until a couple of years ago. He wore number 19 at a time when receivers weren't allowed to wear teens. That did that rule didn't change until I think 05, maybe 04, but he was a jet in 96 wearing number 19, and I don't know how he got away with that because that was when receivers still had to wear in the 80s, and he was just always number 19. So it sounds weird to say, but he was actually one of the most significant players to wear that number given that no one else in that position wore 19 at the time. So, and I think he was also sort of the pioneer of – receivers getting those numbers in the teens. It probably doesn't happen without him. You're right. And all he wanted was just somebody to give him the damn ball, right? He had a very interesting four years with the Jets. Very, very interesting. And the fact that it was only four years is incredible. It seems like, you know, he was there forever. Or not forever, but it, you would think it, he crammed seven or eight years worth of results and headlines and drama into that. But, I mean, the two years, 98, 99 – he caught over 80 balls, over 1,100 yards both times. Um, you know, was their number one really receiving target on. And the, what's almost really impressive was that in 99, he was able to pretty much have a, he had a better year in 99 than he did in 98. And that was, you know, 99, they didn't have Testaverde. They had a revolving door of a couple of different guys. So to maintain that level of production with, didn't they start Rick Meyer a bunch of times in that game in that season? I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, him and I think they probably went to Ray Lucas at some point too. So I, yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. I I I wasn't expecting Keyshawn to come up this early, but I knew we had a lot of wide receivers we were going to be talking about, and you know, save Lance uh, Allworth. I took all the other receivers and I sort of put them in a column and put some comparative uh, numbers together, like their catches and touchdowns and seasons played uh, just to have some comparative talk, but definitely he jumps above the rest of the bunch, you know, save, save all worth. Definitely. I think he should be a spot in that number 10, but I'm surprised he came up at number three though. 
but I, I don't disagree with it. He was for me, yeah. Okay. And he won a Super Bowl, too, in 02, which people forget, but he won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Yeah, that was pretty much it for him. I think he got sent home early the next year. <laughs> I'm not in disagreement, though. We'll put uh, Keyshawn Johnson on that list as our, our number three pick of our, our top ten list for these number 19s. Who would we like to talk about next? I'll throw out a name here. Again, I don't know that I would have him at number four, but it's somebody I'd, I think would be interesting to talk about, and that's Bernie Kosar. That was my number four, too. Adam at number, okay. Um, War 19, pretty much his whole career, except for the four games he was with Dallas in 93. But um, other than that, he was 19, all those good years with Cleveland, and then when he was a backup in Miami. But, you know, those Cleveland teams, certainly until the last two seasons or three seasons, were really the height of the Browns post-Jim Brown. Um you know, I think people forget because everybody kind of thinks of, okay, how they lost in 86 with the drive and how they lost in 87 with the fumble. But they were a very, very good team. Kosar was a big deal, having just been at the University of Miami. Um, you know, they, they were one of the more preeminent teams in the league, certainly in the AFC at a time when a lot of the nationally focused teams were in the NFC with the bears and the giants and the Washington and San Francisco and all that. Um, so I think he definitely, you know, belong given that he was high profile coming out of college, he was a quarterback. He was wearing, you know, I, I think he deserves some consideration as, uh, as being one of the top, you know, guys to don that number. I, I totally agree. And actually I had him as my, my third spot. You know, I, I figured the Montana thing, I was talking, you know, yeah, I was sort of on the fence with you guys, but I had him over Keyshawn and I got to see a lot of him play because, uh, you know, I'm, I, I live a hundred miles from Cleveland, hundred miles from Pittsburgh, hundred miles from Buffalo. And I'm a Steelers fan. So I saw the Browns play twice, two, three times every year uh, playing against the Steelers and Kozar for his unorthodox and uh, sort of lumbering and lanky as, as he was built and his sidearm throws sometimes, uh, he was a very efficient quarterback uh, for the Browns. And I was really kind of surprised that uh, Tessa Verde sort of knocked him out of Cleveland because I think he was still playing at a high level at that point. And that was the one point I was going to make was that I remember when Belichick cut him, just how much they were calling for Belichick's head after he cut him. And it shows just how beloved Kosar was in Cleveland and if you think sort of not just football but you think kind of sports in Cleveland in the 60s 70s you know after Jim Brown leaves basically in between Jim Brown and LeBron I think there's a pretty good argument that it's possible that Bernie Kosar was the most beloved sports figure in Cleveland for those you know 35 to 40 years so if only Indians teams but certainly between Jim Brown and and Kosar, you know, Kosar was the first one after Jim Brown. Definitely. Yeah, he, he was probably the first thing that Cleveland had to root for since Jim Brown. So for, the, for that reason only, I mean, his numbers don't blow you away. I think he only made one Pro Bowl and obviously never made the Super Bowl. Came close a couple times. But for the fact that he was a leader of a team that was very good for a few years there in the 80s, I think he definitely belongs on the list. He was in the, on the Cowboys in 93. Was he on the roster by the time they got to the playoffs? He was. Yeah. I remember he was like there. He was either Aikman's backup or the third stringer. 
they, they pro football reference has him as winning a Super Bowl, and I believe it had to be with that Cowboys teams in the 90s. I yeah. think he might have even gotten into that Super Bowl to throw a couple passes at the end. I, I could be wrong about that, but. Okay, I think we're in agreement that uh, Kozar should be on our list for our number uh, 19s. So who do we want to talk about next? We have uh, six spots left, and we have one undecided person we may come back to. The next guy I had was Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Four years with your Steelers, already a Pro Bowl. Uh, His 2018 season was just crazy. Uh, 111 receptions, 1,426 yards. You know, obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, a perennial playoff team, and he's been a part of that. I think he... I think I may be grading him on potential a little bit, but as I think we'll learn when we talk about some of these other guys, there's, there's, it kind of gets a little bit to slim pickings after these first few. So that's where I went next. Okay, that, that's interesting. Because like I said, I, I compared the wide receivers uh, to each other. And Juju in his four seasons, and remember, he played 2019 without Ben Roethlisberger, without Antonio Brown. So most of his numbers are from the 2020 season, uh, but he caught a lot of short passes. I think his longest uh, reception was like 30 yards this past season. So most of them were his rookie season and his second season uh, with Roethlisberger. And he already in his young career, 26 touchdowns, 308 catches uh, in four seasons. Keyshawn, comparatively, has 814 uh, catches, 64 touchdowns in his 11 seasons. So if Juju stays on some kind of a same trajectory, he will probably surpass what Keyshawn has and uh, some of the other uh, wide receivers we have on this list. But I wasn't sure. I I sort of left him down the list a little bit because he hasn't proven yet what he can do. Uh, And, you know, who knows? He sounds like he he may be in a different offensive system next year. And that that might prove interesting too. Yeah. um, I think it – I mean, taking sort of, and it's, I know it's not exactly the same, but taking over for Antonio Brown basically is the Steelers number one wide receiver. And, and maybe he gets a lot of credit for also the way Brown had left and Juju was kind of a breath of fresh air in that regard with being kind of a, a good quote and a good, you know, talking to the media and seemed like kind of a fun loving guy. Um, but uh Certainly, you'd have to be factoring in, you know, you, you couldn't look at it as a complete body of work. So it's, again, a question of how much do you want to factor in what he's probably going to do going forward. Right. I, I agree. It's a, it's a tough call on that, but I don't disagree with that. He should not be on the list. I'm just uh, mm-hmm. saying, that, you know, I question maybe we may have him up a little too high on the list, but maybe not. Maybe five is the spot that he should be with the rest of these wide receivers. But I guess we'll see in a second. Sure, yeah. All right, uh, what direction would you like to go to next? So the next guy I have that we can talk about, um, and I'm going to mention the name and then probably hope that my brother can fill in a lot of the gaps about the person. I'm going to bring up the name of Cotton Davidson, um, quarterback for the primarily in the AFL with the Dallas Texans and then the Oakland Raiders, um, you know, most of his career starting was in the early 60s in the AFL with the uh, with the Texans, did make a 
Pro Bowl or whatever they called it in the AFL. They might have called it the All-Star Game in 61 with the Texans. Played a little bit with the Colts, but not any significance in the 50s. Um, really, his best year was in 61 with, uh, with the Texans through for – just about 2,500 yards, two straight years, actually, 60 and 61, uh, 15 touchdowns, 17 touchdowns the next year. Um, and then was actually played a lot with Oakland in 63 and then 64. So, you know, not a household name or a legend by any means, but was a quarterback that was a starter for, for quite a bit of the 60s in the AFL. And I have to admit, I had never heard of this guy until I researched this. It looks to me like he was the quarterback in 61 for the team that eventually became the Kansas City Chiefs. And then the following year, they kind of decided that the direction they wanted to go was Len Dawson. So they traded Cotton Davidson Davidson midway through the season. Yeah, I mean, two Pro Bowls. And I mean, he won an AFL championship, but that was when he was just, you know, second or third string to Daryl LaMonica in 1968. So don't know very much about the man. I'm guessing he's got to be a Southerner with a name like that. Yeah, he went to high school in Gatesville, Texas and college at Baylor. So a, a Texan through and through, at least for the beginning part of his football life. So, yep, I uh, I had him on um, Unitas Allworth, Keyshawn, Coast. Kosar and Juju were the five that I had as sort of my definites. And then I definitely had Davidson as a, you know, a potential for the second five slots. I, I did not put cotton on my list. I did look at him. Um, I remember the name. Uh, I looked, did some research on him, but I didn't put him on my, my top 10. And here's why, because I found another quarterback that I don't necessarily know that I would put on there either that had a little bit better numbers than him that's on this list, Bill Munson. And Bill Munson sort of played uh, many years parallel to, to what Cotton uh, did. Uh, played, uh, only he played in most of his, all his career in the NFL. Uh, 64, he came on with the Rams for four years, had a lot of years with Detroit, eight seasons, uh, then played with the Bills uh, and the Chargers and the Seahawks near the end of his career, right up through most of the 70s. And Cotton had uh, – a record. He was 19 and 31 as a starter. Munson was 27 and 34, not winning records, but he had a little bit better body of work, bigger body of work. Munson had 84 touchdowns, 80 interceptions, a little bit better ratio, but I know that that era was not, uh, they were a lot of times just throwing the ball down the field and they got more interceptions, but Cotton Davidson only, he had 73 touchdowns, 108 interceptions. So I think probably Munson Numbers wise, for take it for what it's worth, was a little bit better. And I don't know that I would have Munson on our list. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a couple other players that I would like to argue that maybe should be fight for those spots more than uh, Munson or Davidson. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, Davidson, it's a little thin as I'm reading the numbers. I mean, it's certainly nothing that I would be willing to, uh, to go to war over. Um, you know, it's an interesting name, obviously, and it's not one that gets talked about much, but I just, you know, figured it was worth putting out there. No, he, he had 15 seasons of, uh, you know, pro football experience. You know, Munson had 14 years, so definitely worth talking about. I'm just saying I'm not sure. I'm going to – how about if we put them on our standby list? We'll yeah, see if we can find, you know, if, if they replace somebody that uh, maybe I was thinking of and you guys can convince me because that's, that's what it's all about. 
I got one more name I'd like to bring up. This is probably the last one I have any strong feelings on in a positive way. Okay. Ted Ginn Jr. Um, Interesting. Since 2007, played last year. I don't know if he's, I'm assuming he's still active. I don't, I don't remember him announcing his retirement. You know, has never been a pro bowler, but had some really good years, played from, you know, a bunch of different teams at this point both as a receiver and as a return man, he's pretty much done with returning now that he's in his late thirties or mid thirties, but you know, was played in a couple of super bowls with Carolina in 2015 um, was with San Francisco in 2012 when they lost in the super bowl, um, you know, started his career with Miami, but you look at sort of the consistency had his probably his best years were with Carolina where he was Cam Newton's number one target for a couple of those years, which, you know, Ted Ginn is the number one receiver on a championship contender probably wasn't great, but it was still, you know, putting up seven or 800 yards a couple of years in a row and just the longevity. And for what we're talking about has worn 19 his whole career. So I, I, I think he belongs on the list where that slides. I'm willing to debate, but I have a hard time seeing leaving him off given some of these guys we've talked about in the last few rounds. I was a little bit turned off by him with, but by never making a Pro Bowl and never having a thousand yards receiving. But he was definitely one I had down as a possible as well. What if I gave you names of two receivers uh, that were nineteen that maybe have better numbers than Ginn? Absolutely. Um, and I, Amari Cooper and Adam Thielen. I mean, if you look at their numbers, uh, they're comparative to what Ted Ginn Juniors are only in about half the amount of seasons. Both, both Cooper and Thielen both have only had seven seasons. Ginn has 14 seasons, okay? Ginn has 33 touchdowns in his career. Cooper is 38 so far. Thielen's 39 in the touchdowns as a wide receiver. Ginn, uh, I know uh, he's mostly known as a return man early in his career. That's probably some of his numbers are off. Comparatively, looking at them as wide receivers, Ginn has 412 catches, uh, Cooper, 449, Thielen, 397. And I, I would almost say, you know, if we're going to talk about them as wide receivers, uh, I don't have his uh, – I didn't look at his uh, uh, return yards. But maybe that's something that would, would convince me. But I had him ranked a little bit below what they are. I guess the only pushback I would give on Cooper is he wore 89 with the Raiders. So you'd True. be talking about him with Dallas, which is what two and a half seasons at this point. Um, well, I, mean, I guess depending on you, some people might be counting his whole career, but for me, it's like, you know, that, that would be factored in, but that's only one less year than Juju. So, you know, that's, it's certainly a strong enough case, I guess, you know, that you could definitely put him on. I, with Ginn, I wasn't using Ginn's, I was using his longevity almost as a positive, um, you know, it certainly his numbers aren't. Yeah, when you're talking about guys who in four years are matching his numbers or whatever, I was more just thinking. You know, he's played all these years on all these teams. He's stuck around, and for what for what we're talking about here, he's managed to wear the same number the whole time. But that, yeah, that's true. definitely, you know, certainly is as a receiver is a much more higher up on the totem pole than Ginn was at any point in his career, except maybe that year that Ginn, you know, that the, the Panthers went to the Super Bowl. 
that's true. That's good. Good points. Good points. That him wearing that his entire career and wearing it for 14 seasons and you know, being in the league that long, uh, whatever position he was playing, you know, that's, that's impressive. Uh, you, uh, you may, might've convinced me a little bit on that. Since we're talking contemporary wide receivers, the other guy now he's not, he's been gone for a little while, but the other guy I had on this was sort of a modern day, receiver was miles austin who was uh one of romo's favorite targets on some of those cowboy teams of the late aughts and early 2000 teens had 13 20 yards one year 1041 another year made it into the playoffs a bunch of times with with dallas so he was another two-time pro bowler he was another one of those guys that i had as sort of a a 21st century receiver that was worth some consideration yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you there. I also even considered uh, Eddie Royal in that mix. He had some, I mean, a little bit less numbers than what Miles Austin had. Um, and somebody else maybe we should consider is Mike Williams, uh, who has five years in the league, but he has some pretty decent numbers too for uh, five years. Yeah, I didn't have him. I'm not too familiar with his stat line. Well, he has... Um, let me get back to my page here. Mike Williams has, in his five years, 223 catches, 26 touchdowns in his five seasons. Not as good as some of the other ones we've talked about, but he's, uh, I, I had him on that list because I thought it was uh, substantial. And then you had mentioned Adam Thielen. I know we didn't, we kind of glossed over that, but you had, in terms of the contemporary guys, you had him on there as well, right? Yes, yes. I, I think highly, I mean, I would, I'm beating a drum for Thielen to be to be in our top ten. I I think he's it's well deserved. Yeah, and you certainly when you look at, you know, he's, he's been in the league a little longer than I thought he was. He's been in the league since 2014. Obviously, all of it with Minnesota, but um, yeah, when you look up when you look at his numbers, almost just under a thousand in 2016. 1270 in in 2017, 1370 in 2018. Last year he was down at 925, but he also caught 14 touchdowns last year. So yeah, mm -hmm. I would think Thielen possibly even more so. I think of all of those guys, Thielen probably has the strongest case. To be honest, uh, I agree with you. Any more 19 his entire career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the three of those I'd, I'd actually to sort of go of the guys we just recently talked about in that sort of grouping Thielen, Austin and Ginn would be at the front of the list of those guys for me. Um, sort of first among equals, you know, over Mike Williams and, uh, and Amari Cooper for me, just cause he's, you know, split it. He's only been a, been number 19 for a couple of years. So I would have him below those other three guys. I, I, I wouldn't disagree, but maybe we ought to, uh, Unless, Dan, you have somebody you want to bring up. There's... You know, I did have one other receiver I wanted to bring up, um, and this is another, another older guy, another wide receiver who wore number 19 with the Cowboys and who also had the first name of Lance. And that was Lance Rensel, who was a receiver for the Cowboys in the late 60s, uh, the Don Meredith years. His last year with the Cowboys was 1970, the year they went to Super Bowl five and lost to Baltimore led the league in touchdowns and yards per reception in 69. So a star of those early Cowboy teams, sort of the Don Meredith years, the years that they kept going to the NFL championship and losing to 
the Packers. So he was somebody I thought was worth mentioning as well. Definitely worth mentioning. I want to bring back one of our Hall of Famers that we didn't really talk about, but I think maybe he deserves some consideration. And that's Jack Christensen. And Jack was a, a defensive back. Uh, wore the ni- didn't wear the number 19 his whole career. Only wore it one, one season. Uh, and maybe that, that takes him and disqualifies him. He wore 24 the majority of his season. But, you know, as a DB, he had some pretty decent stats in an era where the ball wasn't in the air as much as it is now. He played uh, 1951 and 1958 with Detroit and uh, had 46 interceptions and three scores off of those interceptions, which I thought was pretty impressive for the era he played in. 12 interceptions in 1953, 10 in 1957. Yeah, his numbers are phenomenal. If, if you're not going to – if you're going to just say if you wore 19 at all and then grade everybody else evenly from there, yeah, he absolutely goes on the list. Um, it was just, you know, for me, I, would, I was just kind of going based on, well, it's just his rookie year that he wore – that number and then he switched to 24 but if you you know if, if you're not going to weigh that as heavily he goes on the list no I, no fair fair enough i i just wanted to bring him up because i didn't think uh you know he's in the hall of fame and he wore the number 19 but that doesn't mean we have to put him on a list i just want to put him out there for consideration i'm sorry i th- i thought yeah i was i was really impressed by the 12 interceptions in a 12 game season the the uh, the record for a single season is actually a, a teammate of his was Night Train Lane who did it not with the Lions but did it with um he had fourteen against uh, with the Rams in nineteen fifty two and then the the modern era I guess would be Lester Hayes in nineteen eighty with Oakland who had thirteen so in four less games he's only two off the all time record now it's interesting I'd have to do a little bit more of a dive on this. They threw less then, but they also threw it a lot worse then. So it might have been easier to get interceptions. But even so, I mean, you know, four less games is four less games. So, yeah, I mean, again, I think that'll become a question of, in my opinion, are there guys who were sort of good to decent enough for long enough wearing with 19 to edge him out with his only one year? That, that's that's true. That's true. Okay. Um. Uh, is there anybody else that we want to bring up for consideration before we uh, start going into uh, deliberations here? I have one and it's a little out there, but I feel like it's at least worth bringing up when we're talking about great moments in guys wearing the number 19 only wore 19 for six years, but Tom Dempsey, one of those years was when he hit the 63 yard field goal with the saints so I just feel like it at least should be brought up because it was one of the biggest, you know, moments in football history in terms of a record and an individual accomplishment. Um, and he was wearing that number when he did it. So again, I don't know that that's enough to put him on the list, but it, it was enough for me to at least bring him up. So. No, I, I definitely, I actually, I was going to bring him up here if, if somebody didn't, you know, I thought, I find it interesting. I was kind of surprised that Dempsey's not in the Hall of Fame. You, you sit there and you think about kickers of that era. Uh, you know, you think of Jan Stenerud, and, uh, who's his contemporary, and uh, I can't really think of any other kickers besides Dempsey that were sort of the, uh, the stud kickers of that era. And uh, I'm really kind of surprised, uh, especially with that, that big boot he had, that um, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Does that surprise you guys? You know, I, I, we, I actually – 
spent a lot of time looking at Tom Dempsey and talking about Tom Dempsey because we did our in memoriam, which you were good enough to guest on. And Andrew and I did a segment with Tom Dempsey and then um, Jeremy McFarlane from football. His family came on and did a next, another segment with me on Dempsey. So I looked at him a lot. He, after I think it was 70 when he made that kick, he kind of had a lot of mediocre years after that. So I think like his next like seven or eight years. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that he's not in the Hall of Fame unless go ahead. There's also only two pure kickers in the Hall of Fame. Jan Stenerud and Morton Anderson are the only two pure kickers in the Hall of Fame. That's true. George Blanda and Lou Groza are both in the Hall of Fame as well but they're listed as also quarterback and also tackle. I would think he probably does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but I would also say there's probably several kickers, at least a couple that probably deserve to go in before him. Gary Anderson. Yeah, there's. I just think, not to get way off the point, but I also think the Gogolak, Pete Gogolak belongs in the Hall of Fame. Just, I mean, who has changed the game of football? Like, one of the most important advances to the game of football in the last 40 or 50 years is soccer style kicking. He brought that into the NFL. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's, I know that's not the point, but, but yeah, Mm -hmm. there's, I, I'm sure the main, like there are, I'm sure the main reason is just, there's such a dearth of kickers. I mean, how long was it? Stanaru retired in 85. So figure he got in sometime in the nineties. I don't know exactly when. And then Morton Anderson just got in, in, you know, 2012 or whatever it was. So, it's not like they're putting them in all that frequently. Now that's going to have to change once all these guys retire. Adam Vinatieri is going to have to easily walk into the Hall of Fame when his time comes, and a few other guys. But they've just—I think they just put their first punter in like three years ago. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Can okay. I? Th- that's a good segue, and I just—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll be real quick here. The only other one I managed to mention was John Jett who was the punter on the Cowboys in their first two, I think it was their first two, and two of their three Super Bowl wins in the 90s. It was actually 93 and 95. Um, I don't know who their punter was in 92. But so he was the only other guy who I thought maybe bared uh, a a slight mention. All right. I think uh, we're probably at that point where I think we've exhausted all the substantial players. There's there's a plethora of – of players that played uh, on that. And if anybody of our listeners want to go on to the pro football reference, uh, you can go in there and click uh, number 19 and choose all teams. And you'll see a tremendous list of hundreds of uh, players that were the number 19. But I think we've touched base on all the substantial ones uh, when wearing the 19 and we've, we've set some criteria down and it's, it's uh, been an interesting talk. Um, now, I, I have jotted down, and correct me if I'm wrong, we have five of those spots that we, we all agreed on so far, and that's Unitas, number one, Lance Allworth, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, Bernie Kozar, and Juju Smith-Schuster. And I was on the fence. I'm not sure if we, what we uh, decided about Thielen, if we gave him that sixth spot or not. I think, I think we can. I think we can, yeah. Okay, I agree. I agree. So there's six of them locked up. So we have four spots to fill out for our 10 best number 19s in NFL history. And we've said some very interesting names and uh, had some great conversations on it. I, I appreciate it. Uh, the dialogue we've had this evening. I think we're mostly down to more current guys at this point. Correct. Um, Do we have any older guys, like some of the older receivers we talked about or. I think the Jack Christensen question is out there. Okay. 
Yeah, and uh, you know Willie uh, Alexander's on there. We didn't talk about him. He's another DB that had uh, 23 interceptions and in a score. But uh, I you know thought Christensen had a little bit better numbers. I don't know if, uh, and I'm not sure that Christensen, even though he's a Hall of Famer, I'm not sure that he deserves to be on there yet. Uh, so I would probably dismiss Alexander off of there. I like Amari Cooper. Obviously, he didn't wear it um, where he was because he was on Oakland first, correct? But yes, he obviously didn't wear it there. But uh, he's won. He's made two Pro Bowls with Dallas, and my guess is he'll make some more. So if we need for our number seven, that that would be probably where I would recommend going next. I would say if we're going to do that, let's put Christensen on as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I think because it doesn't all have to be one answer or another. So I, I would think we can put Christensen on. But you, I'm going to go back to an earlier argument because I think you convinced me about Ginn Jr. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if we're talking about the greatest wearing the 19. I mean, he wore the number for 14 seasons and survived on multiple teams, multiple rosters, um, and you know played quite a bit. He wasn't you know riding the riding the bench on these teams. He was at least out on special teams and played a lot of offense. Uh, you know, I, I think you sort of twisted my arm, Andrew, and uh, I, I'm I'm a believer that maybe he ought to be on there, and oh, maybe I, ahead of some of those other ones. Or you know, Christensen only wearing it for one season, and um, you know, there wasn't very many years that uh, who were we just talking about, uh, uh, Mari Cooper. Cooper. Do you want to go with Ginn at number seven? Then uh, I'm I'm just throwing it out there. If, if you know, we looked at that criteria, and I I think you made a convincing case. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would be fine slotting him there. Uh, what, what say you, Dan? I think I'm with you guys. I think I've uh, – first of all, I don't like being uh, being on my own. I don't like having to argue against two. <laughs> but uh, more to the point, I uh, – yeah, no, I think you guys have convinced me too. The longevity with the number, absolutely. Okay, so we'll put uh, Ted Ginn Jr. as our seventh spot in there. Okay, now, now it's really getting dicey. <laughs> Three spots – Maybe not at number eight, but I actually think there's a little bit of a case to be made for Montana. He sort of revitalized the Chiefs and, you know, almost made the Super Bowl the one year. So if we're kind of struggling between a bunch of mediocre receivers, I would maybe suggest Montana because he did have some good numbers while with the the Chiefs. Not, not good numbers is the wrong word. He had some really good moments and kind of revitalized the team. So... I would say the two that I would push for probably at this point would be Montana and then Amari Cooper, because I think he's going to get more good years with 19. I would not disagree with the, both those choices. You know, this, we're sort of going to that uh, and we go we take Montana. We're sort of going to that. Okay. He didn't wear, have the longevity of wearing the number 19, but he was a great player. He did some good things when he did have that. And I, I can remember Montana in a chief's uniform, uh, knocking a, a very good Steelers team out of the playoffs under Bill Cowher one year. So, well, and, and I'll, I'll mention just for my age, I really only remember him live as a chief because, you know, the last real year he started with the four, I was born in 86. The last full year he was a starter with the 49ers was 90. Didn't play at all in 91. I remember the last game in 92 when the, he played in the second half of a Monday night game against I want to say it was Detroit. It was either Detroit or Minnesota. I always get this mixed up. But 
that's the only real live 49er game I remember him playing. So I remember him only as a chief just based on, you know, my age. Um, yeah. I think it's, especially now as we're getting down to lots of current receivers who've only worn the number three or four or five years anyway, throwing Montana on there for two years and, you know, incredibly high profile as well while he was on the chiefs. I mean, before that too, but yeah, I think he definitely in the, on the bottom part of this list, number nine or whatever, I think we can definitely make that work. Okay. That's, so that takes up our, our eighth spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we, we have those two spots left now. You have Montana Um, at eight. Yeah. I have Montana eight. Okay. I think I would make a case for Amari Cooper next. Okay. I I agree. Cause now we sort of, upset that apple cart of the criteria we had on the earlier players with uh, the longevity of the number. And I would not disagree with uh, Cooper. And then for the last spot, I would at least throw in that we consider Dempsey just because that was the number when he hit the kick. And he wasn't the only, he did wear the number for six years. Um, You know, it's such a unique player with the square toe and everything. I'm not saying that should automatically be the number, but I would, I would at least throw his, square foot into the ring for the discussion <laughs> for the last spot. And since this is number 19, Darren, he might be the last kicker named to a list for, for uh, the rest of the time. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm sort of torn because I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm a Dempsey fan. Like I said, I, I think he, I'm, like I said, I was surprised he wasn't in the hall of fame, but overlooking Jack Christensen, who is in the hall of fame, and had those good numbers, but yeah, then but just that only having it for number uh, number nineteen for one season. Uh. I think the difference between Christensen and the two guys that we did previously, Montana and Amari Cooper, Jack Christensen did basically nothing with the number nineteen. That's true. Whereas Montana and Cooper did something, even if it wasn't in the case of Montana. Obviously, it was nowhere near his best years, and in the case of Cooper, it's really only half of his good years so far. Christensen only really had one year to sort of make a baseball comparison. Mickey Mantle wore number six for three months and then wore number seven for the rest of his career. So it's not like a Kobe Bryant situation where the guy wore both numbers. It's just basically what he had for a year. And then he went on to another number and that was when he had his hall of fame stats. So that's why I think of him as different than Montana or some of the other guys we've talked about. So, and I, 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 I kind of like Dempsey. Uh, okay. You, you guys have convinced me. All right. Or, let me call these names off. Let's make sure we're square on this. We got Unitas, Allworth, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, Bernie Kozar, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Adam Thielen, Ted Ginn Jr., Joe Montana, Amari Cooper, and Tom Dempsey. That's our, our 10 names our top 10, number 19s. And I think we're all in agreement on those, those numbers. Yeah, I think we are. Right. That's okay. Well, that's great. Wow. That was, that was a great discussion. We really covered a lot of ground there. Um, now, before I let you guys go, I would like to know uh, what's coming up on the hello old sports. What can we look forward to? Well, and Dan, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start and then we can go from there. So you mentioned the, the quarterbacks uh, episodes we did. We did something similar. We were half done with the starting five for every NBA roster. We did like an NBA starting five and uh, we did the Eastern Conference for every franchise. And then we're going to record the Western Conference uh, this week and that'll air sometime soon. We actually just before this were 
we're going to do episodes on some sports for from each of our alma maters. So uh, we're going to have a LaSalle basketball episode soon. We just spoke to a, a guy I know who wrote a book about LaSalle basketball. So that'll be coming up soon. And then my brother's also going to be setting up an episode about Boston University hockey. Um, so those are kind of coming down the pipe. And then, uh, Dan, did you have anything beyond that you wanted to add? I think um, we did a lot of football in November, December, January. We did Super Bowl trivia. We did the quarterback episodes that you mentioned. We did Army football. We did one of my favorite episodes that we did on Super Bowl 25, where we did kind of a deep deep dive into that Giants Bill Super Bowl. So given the time of year and sort of the, all the football we've done, we don't have a ton of football stuff coming up. I think – Two of the things that are football, or at least football-related, that we are going to do, we did an episode a couple weeks ago about, um, we did a basketball episode where we did sort of different rival leagues that have popped up in basketball, whether it's the ABA or, you know, even some of the earlier leagues. The next, whenever we pick that series back up again, football is the next one of those. So we'll talk about, you know, the AAFC and the AFL, not just the AFL of the 60s, but the AFLs that popped up um, prior to that and the World Football League and the USFL and probably the, the various incarnations of the XFL and all that stuff. So that from a football point of view is probably the next thing that we have coming up from a, that's football. And then I think um, we're also going to look at some point um, sort of doubling down on the Philly thing. Cause um, we, you know, even though, you know, my roots are more New York DC, you know, Andrew's got the Philly connection with college and our father's from Philly. We're going to look at 1980 and 81 in Philadelphia sports, because that was the year that the, um, the Phillies won the world series, the Eagles lost to the Oakland Raiders in the Super Bowl. I believe that I don't know if the Flyers did the Flyers win or did they just make the Stanley Cup? Flyers lost to the Islanders and yeah, of course. Sixers lost to the uh, Lakers. So between June of eighty and January of eighty one, all four Philadelphia teams were in the championship game or round. Three of them lost, but it's still in you know a seven yeah. period for them all to be in the championship is pretty you know, impressive. So yeah, that'll obviously have a pretty good, uh, pretty big football, football focus. And then, you know, we'll, we'll obviously as, as time goes on, we'll have some more, more football specific stuff coming up, but it's going to be, it's going to be more baseball, basketball, and just sort of general stuff, at least for the next few months, but lots of, lots of fun and exciting stuff coming up on hello old sports. Well, we're looking forward to, to hear all of those. Uh, we know, you know, you, you guys stay sort of in the seasons that, that we're in. And so we appreciate that, you know, baseball's baseball season, football's football season and, and the NBA's basketball season. Uh, is there any uh, final things you'd like to say of any future projects uh, you have coming up, maybe in long range future or uh, any side gigs, or if not, you know, we can. Uh... The only thing I would put out there, and this is a little morbid and it's, you know, it, it, but it's, it's never too soon to bring up is that, and Darren was good enough to join us for a segment last year um, at the end of the year. So probably starting recording sometime in late November, early December, we do our in memoriam where we honor or talk about uh, some of the many sports figures that have died in the previous year. And we've already got, you know, uh, quite a few that have passed away this year and I'm sure there will be more. So, you know, if, if, if anybody listening, um, you know, fans of our show, fans of Pigskin Dispatch, if you're, you know, as the years go on, as the month 
guests go on, if there's anybody that passes away that means a lot to you that you want to come on and talk with us about uh, at the end of the year, just email us at helloworldsports at gmail.com. We were good enough to get a few of our fellow hosts on last year, and we also had our dad come on to talk about one. And I, we really want to make it even bigger this year with as many people coming on to talk about athletes that are of interest to them. So, you know, obviously we don't know everybody that's going to pass away, but as the year goes on, if anybody that, that's especially important to you for one reason or other passes away, shoot us an email um, and we'll, we'll set that up because we, you know, we really enjoyed doing that last year. So that's sort of, that's the big end of the year project that's coming again. Uh, and it'll be here before we know it. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. Uh, gentlemen, we appreciate you being here. Uh, I also want to mention to listeners, if there's anybody that you feel that we missed on our list of 19s, or maybe you disagree with us, send me an email at pigskindispatch at gmail.com. And on a future episode, we'll look at that. And uh, maybe uh, we'll cons- take your word and uh, change our minds here. Uh, so if, unless anybody else has anything else to say, uh, Jim, I want to thank you for your time and joining us here on this Pigskin Dispatch Football by Numbers series, talking about the greatest number 19s in NFL history. Thanks, guys. Glad to do it. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.